Thanks for checking out the Candeo podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at candeochurch.com. We've gathered here tonight to remember the brutal killing of an innocent man on a Roman cross. Which begs the question, what is so good about that? Why is this called Good Friday? Why is this not Bad Friday, Terrible Friday, Unfortunate Friday? And not only that, why have Christians for centuries gathered on the Friday before Easter to not only remember this brutal killing, but to celebrate it, to rejoice in it? What is so good about Good Friday? That's the question. And tonight I want to look at a glimmer of the answer to that question in a little known story all the way back in the Old Testament in the book of 1 Kings. So if you have a Bible, you can open to 1 Kings. If you don't have a Bible or you don't even want to try to find 1 Kings, totally understand. Uh, the verses will be up on the screen for you as well. 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 1. Now King David was old and advanced in age. Although they covered him with bedclothes, he could not get warm. So this guy David was a king. And he's an old man. His eyesight is failing. His hearing isn't what it used to be. And even though blankets are piled up on him, seemingly to the ceiling, he can't get warm. If he had a thermostat in his palace, they didn't have those back then. But if he did, he would have turned it up to 90, maybe like your grandparents do. But no matter what he did, he couldn't get warm. And as he lies there in bed trying to get warm, he can't help but think through the memories of his life as he's nearing the end of his life. And oh, does David have a lot of memories. He thinks back to when he was a boy tending his, shepherd, his father's flocks as a shepherd boy and fighting off lions and bears to protect the sheep and all the way up to becoming king of the nation. Even though David was the youngest of eight boys, he was the runt of the litter. This runt had become king of the nation. Now for all the great things that David did, and you can read all the great things that David did in the Old Testament, for all the great things that he did, his family life was an absolute mess. Maybe some of you can identify and the reason why his family life was an absolute mess was because long ago, David took for himself something that wasn't his. You see, while David's men were off to war, off in battle, and he should have been with them, he stayed home in his palace, enjoying the luxuries of his life. And one night he looks out of his window and he sees this woman bathing and her name is Bathsheba. Now Bathsheba, her name means daughter of the oath. We'll come back to that. But David sees Bathsheba. He wants Bathsheba and because he was king, he took her. 
even though she was married to one of his fighting men who was off to battle. He took her and Bathsheba became pregnant. And in a moment of desperation, David had her husband killed on the very battlefield that David should have been with him on. Fast forward nine months, the child that David had with Bathsheba died. And from that point on, conflict never left David's house. As year after year, as he had more and more children, those children of his would forever be at each other's throats. Not Probably not quite like your kids are at each other's throats. David's children were literally at each other's throats, doing unspeakable things to each other, even killing one another. But while David's first son with Bathsheba died, David had a, another son with Bathsheba whose name was Solomon. And Solomon was the sworn heir to David's throne. So after David died, Solomon was to be the one to take his place. Now, now David also had other children with other women, and one of those children was a man by the name of Adonijah. And David, as he became old and frail, as he's laying in bed remembering his life, this is what happens. 1 Kings 1, verse 5. Adonijah... Son of Haggith kept exalting himself, saying, I will be king. He prepared chariots, cavalry, and 50 men to run ahead of him. But his father had never once infuriated him by asking, Why did you do that? Not exactly hands on parenting. In addition, Adonijah was quite handsome and was born after Absalom. He conspired with Joab, son of, Zer son of Zariah, and with the priest Abathar, they supported Adonijah. But the priest Zadok, Benaiah, son of Jehoiada, the prophet Nathan, Shimei, Re, and David's royal guard did not side with Adonijah. Adonijah sacrificed sheep, goats, cattle, and fattened cattle near the stone of Zoleph, with his net, which is next to En-Rogel. He invited all his royal brothers and all the men of Judah, the servants of the king, but he did not invite the prophet Nathan, Benaiah, the royal guard, or his brother Solomon. So Solomon's brother, Adonijah, before David, their father, has even died, makes a power play for the throne. And not only that, but he doesn't invite Solomon to the party, which isn't just a real bummer. It's not as though Solomon missed out on the Chick-fil-A catering. It, what this meant was that Adonijah is essentially telling Solomon, hey, once dad dies, you're gone too. And knowing this, the word reaches Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, and Nathan the prophet. And so Bathsheba, which remember her name means daughter of the oath, lives up to her name and goes into David and reminds King David of the oath that he had made to his son Solomon. Verse 17, she says this, my Lord, you swore to your servant by the Lord your God, your son Solomon is to become king after me. And he is the one who is to sit on my throne. Now look, Adonijah has become king. And my lord, the king, you didn't know it. He has lavishly sacrificed oxen, fattened cattle, and sheep. He invited all the king's sons, the priest, Abiathar, and Joab, the commander of the army. But he did not invite your, ser your servant, Solomon. Now, my lord, the king, the eyes of all Israel are on you. 
to tell them who will sit on the throne of my Lord the King after him. Otherwise, when my Lord the King rests with his fathers, I and my son Solomon will be regarded as criminals. And shortly after Bathsheba reminds David of the oath, Nathan the prophet comes in, says basically the exact same thing, and here's how David responds. Call in Bathsheba for me. So she came into the king's presence and stood before him. The king swore an oath and said, as the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from every difficulty, just as I swore to you by the Lord God of Israel, your son Solomon is to become king after me. And he is the one who is to sit on my throne in my place. That is exactly what I will do this very day. King David then said, call in the priest Zadok, the prophet Nathan, and Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, for me. So they came into the king's presence. The king said to them, take my servants with you. Have my son Solomon ride on my own mule and take him down to Gihon. There the priest Zadok and the prophet Nathan are to anoint him as king over Israel. You are to blow the ram's horn and say, long live King Solomon. You are to come up after him and he is to come in and sit on my throne. He is the one who is to become king in my place. He is the one I have commanded to be ruler over Israel and Judah. Verse 38, then the priest Zadok, the prophet Nathan, Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, the the Cherethites, the Pelethites went down, had Solomon ride on King David's mule and took him to Gihon. The priest Zadok took the horn of oil from the tabernacle and anointed Solomon. Then they blew the ram's horn and all the people proclaimed, long live King Solomon. All the people went up after him, playing flutes and rejoicing with such a great joy that the earth split open from the sound. Adonijah and all the invited guests who were with him heard the noise as they finished eating. Joab heard the sound of the ram's horn and said, why is the town in such an uproar? He was still speaking when Jonathan, son of Abiathar, the priest, suddenly arrived. Adonijah said, come in, for you are an important man, and you must be bringing good news. Unfortunately not, Jonathan answered him. Our Lord, King David, has made Solomon king. And with Solomon, the king has sent priest, the priest Zadok, the prophet Nathan, Benaiah, Benaiah the, uh, the son of Jehoiada, the Cherethites, the, the Pelethites. It's okay if you can't pronounce these names, all right? And they had him ride on the king's mule. The priest Zadok and the prophet Nathan have anointed him king in Gihon. They have gone up before, they have gone up from their rejoicing. The town has been in an uproar. That's the noise you heard. Solomon has even taken his seat on the royal throne. The king's servants have also gone to congratulate our Lord King David, saying, May your God make the name of Solomon more well known than your name, and may he make his throne greater than your throne. Then the king bowed in worship on his bed, and the king went on to say this, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel today. He has provided one to sit on my throne, and I am a witness. Then all of Adonijah's guests got up trembling and went their separate ways. So what's happening here? Adonijah is having a party with his friends. They're partying like it's 1999. And then the ground begins to shake. And their wine glasses begin to shake. It's like that scene in Jurassic Park when the the T-Rex gets out. Because the T-Rex always gets out. Like, that, those, that's all the movies. The dinosaurs never stay where they're supposed to be. And the rings and the glasses, like the, the, the ground is shaking as it's coming toward them. And then Jonathan busts in. He's like, hey guys, not sure if you heard or not, but David 
made Solomon king. And not only that, David, Solomon is riding on David's mule and he's on his way here right now. To which all of Adonijah's friends are like, whew, look at the time. We have got to get going. Thanks for the party, Addy. We love it. We should do this again. Totally should do this again. Hey, could you actually call us next week if you're not dead and we'll do this again? That'd be great. See you later. And there stands Adonijah, the imposter king. You see, he thought he had won. In fact, everyone thought that he had won because it looked like he had won. He had people. He had chariots. He had cavalry. He had an entourage. But just as it seemed that Adonijah had won the day, the ground began to shake as Solomon, riding on his father's mule, came into the city. Now, at this point, you might be going, Jake, great, weird story. Have you forgotten what day it is? What in the world does this little story in 1 Kings have anything to do with Good Friday? Ah, fast forward 600 years. Check this out. 600 years after Solomon rode into the city, here's what happened. Mark 11. When they approached Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples ahead and told them, go into the village ahead of you. As soon as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here right away. So they went and found a colt outside the street, tied by the door. They untied it, and some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing, untying the colt? They answered them, just as Jesus had said, so they let them go. They brought the donkey to Jesus and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their clothes on the road, and others spread leafy branches cut from the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. Ah, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. See, it's often said that Jesus rode into the city on Palm Sunday, when he rode into the city, he rode in on a donkey because it was a sign of humility. But you see, these people knew something that we totally miss. Because this isn't the first time that a legitimate king entered a city on a donkey to take back what was rightfully his. It wasn't the first time. They had seen this before. They knew of this before. You see, first Kings 1 is the Old Testament triumphal entry, which helps us understand exactly what Jesus was doing. Because what Jesus was doing when he entered the city on a donkey, it wasn't just because he was humble. It was because he was making a statement. He was making a claim, and everyone knew it. 
And the claim that he was making was this, was that while false kings abound, while illegitimate kings abound, while illegitimate kings puff themselves up and claim to be in charge, while illegitimate kings make a lot of noise, whether it be Adonijah, whether it be Caesar, whether it be Herod, or whether it be the powers of darkness, the claim that Jesus is making as he rides into the city on a donkey is, I am king of kings and lord of lords. I am the true and greater king that has come to win the day. Because isn't it true that we all want a king? Isn't it true that we're all looking for a leader? Isn't it true that we're all looking for a ruler? We're looking for a king of our lives. We're always looking for that thing or that person or that experience that we can trust to give us what we need, to give us what we want. This is why one of the fastest growing religions in the United States is politics. Because we're looking for a king. We're looking for someone to save us, to take what is wrong and make it right, to fix all of our problems, to give us security, to give us prosperity. This is why some of you jump from relationship to relationship. It's because you are ruled by the desire to be loved and wanted. This is why some of you are obsessed with your job because you are ruled by the desire for status and accomplishment. This is why some of you can't break that addiction that you've had for years because the minute you try to get it out of your life, it creates this gaping hole and this vacuum that is just seeking to be filled by something. Now, some of you may not be ruled by desires in this way, ruled by the things that you do. Some of you may be ruled by the things that have been done to you. The abuse that you experienced as a child, physically, verbally, emotionally. And you would think by now, in your mind, you go, what? Well, how is it that I'm not over this? And you're ruled by your experiences, the abuse as a child, the assault that you experienced in college, that thing that happened to you that you wish you could erase from your memory. No matter how much you pray, it won't go away. And you are ruled, you are haunted by your past. But you see, when Jesus came into the city riding on a donkey, he was saying to them, and he's saying to you and me, I am the true and greater king that you have been looking for. I am the good king who has come not to harm you, but to restore you. And do you see what their response was? As Jesus comes into the city making this claim, their response is the response it's the only response that is appropriate when we see King Jesus for who he is. Hosanna. What does Hosanna mean? It means, Lord, save me. Which then begs the question, how did this great king provide for this salvation? 
that is desired. He didn't do it with a sword. He didn't do it with a gun. But instead, he did it by using the weapon of the enemy against itself. Here's how he did that. Because just a few short days later, after entering the city, Jesus Christ would die to bring life to the dying. Jesus Christ would be bound to set free those in bondage. Jesus Christ would be crushed to restore those who are crushed in spirit. Jesus Christ was rejected by the world so that those who have been marginalized and rejected would be accepted by the Father. Colossians chapter 2 says it this way. It says, he erased the certificate of death of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us, and he has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. You see, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, he was making a statement. When Jesus was brutally beaten and ruthlessly mocked, he was making a statement. When Jesus was lifted up, naked in front of everyone, exposed to the world, he was making a statement. And Jesus, when he breathed his last breath, he was making a statement. And the statement was this was that while every other king in your life, while every other ruler in your life will look at you and say, serve me or die, Jesus is saying to you tonight, I am the only king who died so that you might have life. So what is so good about Good Friday? What's so good about Good Friday is that Jesus, the rightful king, came and died so that you and I could be free from the bondage of sin and striving, so that you and I could be free from every other illegitimate king in your life, whether it's the things that you do or the things that have been done to you, that every other illegitimate king in your life would be vanquished, that you could have life in him now and for eternity. So my question to you tonight is do you want to be free? Do you want to be free from the illegitimate rulers that reign in your life, that reign in your soul? Look to Jesus, the true and greater King. And in humility, say, Jesus, I give you the throne of my life. Be my king, be my savior, and say what they said all those years ago. Lord, would you save me? He can be that king for you if you receive him in faith. Let's pray. Jesus, you are king of kings and Lord of Lords. And yet, you came not to be served, but to serve, and to give your life as a ransom for many. Well, Father, I pray for that person tonight who is still in bondage, 
for the things that they've done or the things that have been done to them. Oh God, would you set them free by the power of your Holy Spirit? Would they respond in faith to you, Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords? Would tonight they say, Lord, save me. We worship you for your body broken and your blood spilled on our behalf. We praise your holy name. Amen. This has been a message from Candeo Church. To learn more about us or to hear more messages, visit us at candeochurch.com.